North Minneapolis is going green. Give us a call and learn what we mean. Where one sly urban blight now sits luscious garden sites, gardens without borders, classrooms without walls, architects of our own destinies, access to food, justice for all. Welcome to Welcome to Nourish by MN350, the podcast that features visionary leaders who are creating the regenerative, inclusive, local food economy we need to meet the challenge of climate change. Hello and welcome to Nourish by MN350. I'm your host, Barbara Norblum, and we are coming to you from the original homeland of the Dakota and Anishinaabe peoples, or what is now known as Minnesota. The focus of today's show is local urban BIPOC farming, where we will explore the intersection of climate justice and food justice. To help us answer our questions, we have with us in our virtual studio three visionary community organizers. Michael Cheney of Project Sweetie Pie in North Minneapolis, Project Sweetie Pie is a nonprofit operating at the intersection of climate change, racial justice, and food security. The primary focus of Project Sweetie Pie has been to work with the city of Minneapolis to grow community gardens. Michael Cheney is its founder. Michael has also been very active in setting aside state resources for urban farmland. Michael describes himself as a community activist, organizer, ag patriot, and youth advocate. He currently serves on the City of Minneapolis's Green Zone Task Force and is a key partner in the Family of Trees Initiative. Welcome, Michael, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Devon Nolan, who serves on the operations team of Northside Fresh Coalition, is also a former chair of the Homegrown Minneapolis Food Policy Council and is a Minnesota Food Charter Champion. The Northside Fresh Coalition is a community-based partnership born as a project in 2008 by the North Point Health and Wellness Center and currently incubated by Appetite for Change. Northside Fresh is a network of over 60 community members, organizations, and businesses committed to building a more self-reliant, just, and connected food system on the north side of Minneapolis. The Homegrown Minneapolis Food Policy Council is a citywide initiative expanding our community's ability to grow, process, distribute, eat, and compost more healthy, sustainable, locally grown foods. Homegrown Minneapolis brings together key partners from local government, area businesses, community organizations, nonprofits, and residents to build a healthy local food system. Thank you, Devon, for being here today. Thank you so much, Barb, for, for the invitation. Glad to be in such an esteemed group. And Hindalo Polkawa, founder of Sierra Leone Foundation for New Democracy. Sierra Leone Foundation for New Democracy, or SLFND, is providing education, child care, and trainings in sustainable farming and peace building in the poorest and most neglected villages in Sierra Leone and throughout Africa. Born and raised in Sierra Leone, but trained in social work in the U.S., Hindolo Pukawa put aside pursuing a career here to start the Sierra Leone Foundation for New Democracy in order to help those whose main dream is simply to survive. Hindalo, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you. We're talking with these three today to get their perspectives on how their work relates to the creation of a more just food system. All right. So 
Having said that, we're going to begin. Michael, would you mind telling our listeners um, briefly about the mission of Project Sweetie Pie? Certainly. North Minneapolis is going green. Give us a call and learn what we mean. Where once lie urban blight now sits luscious garden sites, gardens without borders, classrooms without walls, architects of our own destinies, access to food, justice for all. Uh, hello, my name is uh, Michael Cheney. I'm an activist and organizer. In the 80s, I was the founder of the Juneteenth celebration. Uh, in the 90s, I was one of the founders with Sam Grant, in fact, of the Wendell Phillips Credit Union. And in 2010, when North High came under attack, myself and others were all part of a group called Afroeco. Uh, notables in that group were Tim Page, uh, Kali Graddick, uh, Metric, and Melvin Giles. And so many of the people that you know as uh, African Americans, uh, Rose McGee, Dr. Rose Brewer, it was a steamed crowd, as to use Devon's words, and we were sitting around commiserating about the threat and closing of North High because we realized that the killing of a school is the killing of a heart of any community. And so in all good conscience, we couldn't sit back passively and a lot watch that happen. And so we got to talking and realized that there was a green room at North High, somebody brought up to me. And so I approached the school and asked them, because in the 90s, I had done a program there called the Video Brigade. By training in my professional career, um, I worked for 25 years for Fox TV as a cameraman sound technician. And so most of my work professionally has been within media and communication. And so I approached the school and asked them if I could get the youth of North Minneapolis to start growing vegetables, could I use that space? They agreed, and thus was born Project Sweetie Pie. Okay, thank you so much. That's very interesting. I didn't know that about North um, High. Um, and Devon, would you mind telling our listeners briefly about the Northside Fresh Coalition? Sure. Uh, the way I like to talk about the work of the Northside Fresh Coalition is really a grassroots effort. Um, to look at how we transform our food system here in North Minneapolis. There are, uh, I think you said about 60 partners. And what we found is that, and I should say, uh, Elder Cheney and myself both serve on the operations team. And we found that we can be much more effective when we work in coalition um, as it relates to policy change, as it relates, you know, things around land access and really building capacity at the community level to understand why our local food system is important and how we build one. And so while I'm involved in you know, policy work at several different levels, um, this is kind of my heart because it is that grassroots work where we reach the average community member here in North Minneapolis, whether they grow food or not, um, and really build coalition around that. And what we found, of, I think we're heading into our 11th year with the coalition work. Um, what we found is that people are growing food all across the city. And that thread um, really, really pulls people together. Every time I'm in the garden, there's always someone there. So how do we continue to leverage that in a way that um, addresses healthy food access, that addresses the food economy, and really looking at what are the policy barriers that make it difficult? Thank you. Okay. All right. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. 
And Hindelo, would you please tell us briefly about the mission of Sierra Leone Foundation for New Democracy? Absolutely. Um, again, my name is Hindelo Pokawa. I'm the founder and the director of Sierra Leone Foundation for New Democracy. Um, originally from Sierra Leone in West Africa, been in Minnesota for 20 years. Um, and I approach the work of development from an intersectional um, you know, relationship where communities see themselves as, um, you know, agents of change and approaching their own development from an appreciative inquiry uh, point of view, that they understand their problems, they know what is the situation, they have solutions to their problems, and that all they really need is a little bit of push in a genuine partnership with um, stakeholders to be able to support them in achieving their goals. And so one of our goals with Sierra Leone Foundation for New Democracy is looking at a country in Sierra Leone in West Africa that is one of the poorest in the world, highest infant mortality rate, very low literacy rates, that's about 37, 43%. And you have a country that has endured civil war, Ebola crisis in, in 2014, and a mudslide that really uh, decimated a, a part of the city uh, in 2017. In all of that, it's an increase in the extractive and the exploitative relationships that we have identified coming out of colonial projects that does not allow us to be able to feed ourselves. It doesn't allow us to be able to um, grow food or engage in communities and uh, development that uh, is grounded from their own experiences. And so the Sierra Leone Foundation for New Democracy um, you know, has structured itself to be able to push on those ideas that uh, moves away from the extractive and the exploitative dynamics um, and enable communities to thrive in building their own wealth. Thank you so much. That's absolutely amazing work. Um, okay, so now I'd like to dig a bit deeper with each of you about your personal journeys into urban agriculture and your initial inspirations. Um, Devon, how did you first get into urban farming and why? And there's a second question. Mm -hmm. What is your vision for urban agriculture and the local food economy 10, 30, 100 years from now? Yes. Well, I'm glad you asked, Barb. And I'm so glad that Elder Michael Cheney is on the call because he is the reason that I'm involved in any of this work. I um, continue to give you credit for that, Elder Cheney, because I didn't even know there was a, that we could do something about it, right? I knew that our food system was not serving my community very well. Um, but the very first time I went to the, um, to the legislature on Christmas Eve, I don't know what year that was. It was just me, you, and uh, Karen Clark at the time, and started the process of learning how to draft an urban agriculture bill. I'd never done those types of things before. So Elder Michael Cheney is the reason why I do this. First and foremost, um, I stand on the shoulders of giants. I really do. And um, my, my personal journey is that there, I've been here my whole life and I have watched my community change in ways that are painful and don't serve my community very well. We can give it all the pretty names. You can call it identification. We can call it a whole bunch of things. Um, but there are systems at place that, that um, create these, these conditions. And so my very first encounter with urban agriculture was when I was um, with Emerge Community Development and doing supportive and transitional housing. And they called me over to one of the apartment complexes because they were having challenges with the young people there who, 
you know, were being destructive for, for in other people's eyes. And so I came over and I set out on the steps with some popsicles and I made friends and we decided we were going to grow a garden in the courtyard in between. And this was down at Homewood Apartments. And that was my very first experience outside of my family growing, um, but growing in community. And this garden became a catalyst for healthy community in that apartment complex and beyond. Those young people who were previously seen as a menace were now caring for that garden. The elders were watering and praying over that garden and boy did that garden produce. Um, I didn't know the squash grew under those big old leaves. And so I had some huge squash coming out of there and um, lots of tomatoes and things. And it really just became a catalyst for, um, for community. And that sparked this journey, um, really thinking about the importance of self-reliance and the importance of us being able to feed ourselves. Um, I often make the, the joke that nobody likes a hungry divine. Like I am no fun to be around when I need to eat. And what we find is that food is sacred across cultures, across all the isms that we can ponder. Um, food is sacred and that it really can be, be a catalyst. So I just want to thank Elder Cheney again, elders like Candace McKelvey and Kali Graddock and, and those who've, who've been fighting against these injustices before I was even born and now have, you know, blazed the trails and have, uh, you know, another generation of folks coming behind them. So we're not done yet. All right. That's wonderful. And Hindalo, how did you get into farming and why? When I finished my graduate degree here, um, it was very difficult to find a job. Um, so I ended up driving taxi in the Twin Cities. Uh, from that humble experience, I uh, basically uh, one day sitting in my taxi waiting for a call, the light bulb just went off. That I've been doing farming back in Sierra Leone for years. I come from a farming community. I come from a landholding family. And access to land was not a problem to me. So I decided to make a phone call. And um, I spoke to my grandpa. Grandpa, can you give me my own share of the land? And I was like this prodigal son in the Bible, you know, give me my own share. I want to go do my own thing. And so... Uh, <laughs> And so I said, uh, I just need my own share. You know, um, I want to do my own thing. And they thought that um, I wanted to come and dig for gold and diamonds because that is the uh, livelihood economy that is there in this community. And I said, no, I'm not digging for gold and diamonds. I want to grow food. I want to build preschool. I want to feed children um, organic food so that they are able to pay attention to education to, in the classroom and let them be able to become good, productive citizens. And so um, they gave me my own 20 acres of land as part of the family. And um, I had gone through my permaculture training. I had my certification. So I um, combining the education that I had, which was focusing on um, literacy and um, ecology um, at the U of University of Minnesota, I basically took off and, um, you know, put together the Sierra Leone Foundation for New Democracy, went back home using the very appreciative inquiry, what does the community want? How do you see a preschool built where children are being fed two meals every day and you don't have to pay any tuition? You're nourishing their capacity to think critically. Um, the idea of me growing up in Sierra Leone not having food how do we move from that trend to something new? So um, that has been um, our work, our focus, and it all came out of um, 
you know, sitting in the cold here in Minnesota um, waiting for that taxi ride. Right. That's wonderful. Thank you very much for that. Um, and Michael, um, how did you first get into urban farming? I didn't get into urban farming. I was born into farming. Okay. Um, I have a rural background. Uh, actually, you know, several generations at the turn of the century, my grandfather owned a thousand acres in uh, northern Wisconsin. And there was a whole uh, convoy of uh, African-American uh, families out of Iowa who came north to uh, uh, northern Wisconsin, northwest Wisconsin, with uh, visions of sugar plums dancing in their heads. They wanted to get away from the cities and get back to their agrarian roots that might have been, you know, lost a generation or so. And so there were a number of families acquired farmland. Uh, but, you know, farming is more than a notion. And so over a course of time, you know, most of those families left. And as they left, my grandfather acquired them. And so, again, he had a thousand acres, which, you know, is a remarkable story given the history of racism in this country. So uh, he had seven children and then my father had seven children. And as his siblings left the left that area and moved to, you know, the Milwaukee's and the Minneapolis's. The same thing happened in my, in my father's generation, happened in mine, all left the, left the country to come to the city because we had stars in our eyes of fame and fortune. And so I came to the city, but as the old saying goes, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out the boy. And so, uh, in fact, about probably 20 years ago, I, I went to Will Allen and I asked him, I wanted to bring him to North Minneapolis because my uncle was, he's kind of a who's who in Milwaukee, uh, first black bank president, uh, president of the NAACP, president of the Urban League. And so long before I knew anything about Malcolm and Martin, I knew that being an, a modern-day abolitionist, that's what you do. It, it wasn't about your, your profession. It wasn't about your career. It was about what, do you, what is your role in establishing and keeping alive the Underground Railroad. And so that's what I based my whole life on, following in the footsteps of my uncle, who was a community organizer, activist, civic leader, and... Uh, I continued that legacy. So you were involved in agriculture before you heard about the closing of North High. Right. I was born and raised on a farm and, you know, 160 acre farm was what we had. We grew chickens. We grew pigs. We had seven children, so they had to feed them something. Right. And so that's what we did. And my mother was a big gardener. And so, you know, I spent most of my early life trying to run away from the farm and now I found myself at this end of life running back to the farm so we actually have an initiative I own two farms in Wisconsin and we have an initiative called black to the farm it's a great title right well again like I said I spent 25 years in communication and media and so you know uh, if you want people to get engaged and I've learned a long time ago you have to be engaging and so, 
you know, communication, being a poet and a spoken word artist, you know, um, everything that I do really comes from the spirit and I'm spirit led. You know, I, I take very little credit for anything that I've done or anything that I've really ever said. It's always been, you know, a modern day griot who is being fed knowledge, fed wisdom, and trying to just follow in the footsteps of of all those who, you know, those ancestors that still speak to all of us if we are wise enough to listen. So Black to the Farm is, a, um, again, I had, um, I tried to get back in the 90s, I tried to get Will Allen to think outside of Milwaukee. He was in Milwaukee. My uncle, they were on two ends of the spectrum. Uh, Will was talking about urban farming. You know, he was certainly a rare bird there. He was talking about folks really getting skills and um, being self-sufficient. And my uncle was on the other end of the spectrum, you know, with the Urban League and the NAACP. And so at that time, you know, our communities, folks had spent their lives trying to get away from the farm to get to the city. And so it was, it's a still today, you know, all of that pain and suffering of history. You know, I've, I've know people today who I've tried to, you know, take to the country and it's, it's something that they resist because of all those fears and et cetera. And not wanting, you know, I've had, you know, young women, even in urban communities tell me I, they don't do dirt. So it's really a learning curve really a lifestyle change, a paradigm shift. How do we get residents in urban communities who've been socially engineered to be consumers, how do we, how do we change that narrative so that they become producers? Because it's really hard to live in a free enterprise system if you don't have a product and a service. And this, in this nonprofit uh, complex that we live in, which is really just the overseers on the new plantation, then, you know, they too are well, are really, their lifestyle is really not that different from the very same people that they claim to serve. So how do we sever that tie and get back to the health and well-being of the land? And so I have some folks up on my, one of my farms, a brother and a sister who are urban residents who wanted to get off the grid and they're growing goats, and they're growing chickens, and they're homeschooling their children. And so it's a remarkable, remarkable that, you know, been able to help create that pathway for people to get back to the country. That's fantastic. Okay, this looks like a good place to stop and take a short station break. We'll be right back. Here at MN350, our food systems team advocates for establishing a regenerative food economy. We believe that local food produced in a way that empowers those who have traditionally been harmed or marginalized by the industrial food system plays an important role in regenerative food economy. MN350 is a climate justice organization and we recognize that the industrial food system is contributing to climate change, which is why we're advocating for the types of regenerative food economy that our guests are creating through their work at Project Sweetie Pie, SLFND, and Northside Fresh. 
Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with Devon Nolan of the Northside Fresh Coalition, Michael Cheney of Project Sweetie Pie, and Hindalo Pakawa of the Sierra Leone Foundation for New Democracy. And we're talking about food justice. I would like to ask anyone here what they think the relationship is between agriculture, community, and education. What relationship do they have in your work? Um, I think there's a clear connection between education, you know, uh, regenerative agriculture, uh, a particular uh, advocacy that we are involved with. And I tie that to, for instance, the work that Michael is doing. Michael is a mentor for me over the years and having that relationship with him, but also uh, Sam Grant, um, whom he mentioned, um, is also somebody that I've worked with for years. But the connection for me has to do, for instance, with an aspect that we often ignore in uh, dealing with food systems and uh, from across the world, which is international solidarity around the food system. And what do I mean by that? The work that Michael is doing at the same time that he's dreaming these wonderful ideas or Sam Grant or any of these sort of people um, is the same dreams that is happening down south um, in other parts of the world. When we think about, for instance, the Hmong community in Minnesota and the agriculture work that they are doing in a very regenerative framework or from a regenerative platform, you understand that international solidarity plays a huge role. And this is where I come in by saying what Michael is doing, how he has mentored me, how he has been able to uh, you know, coach me has actually informed the very practices that I grew up on being on a farm in rural Sierra Leone and now being a farm manager at Frogtown Farm in St. Paul, working on agriculture, regenerative agriculture. Um, that requires knowledge building from an indigenous inquiry. And I coming from an indigenous background, I've been able to utilize that to say, those skills can be applied in other parts of the world. And that knowledge base from understanding uh, the climate system, the impact of that, that is affecting many parts of the world, regardless of where it is originating from. It's a knowledge base that we constantly um, do not understand. And for me, international solidarity plays a huge role um, and we have to be able to appreciate the indigenous values that comes with that. I can jump in next. Uh, I think the, the, the first thing that comes to mind, um, <laughs> you know, when we talk about a regenerative food economy, um, and I know the question was about education and I, and I tend to just challenge our language a little bit. Um, when, we, when we use things like education, that's a very Eurocentric way of looking at it. Um, oftentimes black folks and, and African descendants of slaves have not had a favorable experience with the um, Eurocentric and Western idea of education. And so I oftentimes talk about knowledge building and harvesting what already exists. There's lots of information and skills and understanding that just come with our ways of knowing and being that already exist that because of colonization have been dismissed and minimized and co-opted and a whole bunch of other words that I could use um, in that the originators don't get credit. And so 
um, when we talk about the intersection of, of education or, or knowledge building, um, it's really just tapping into what already exists. I do a lot of work with the Cultural Wellness Center and the idea of, of Black thought and the idea of getting back to our original ways of knowing and being in community. And it's sometimes difficult to do in, in this day and age with technology and this little uh, pandemic thing that we're dealing with here. Um, but what we're finding is that it is creating a sense of urgency for people to get back to their old ways of knowing and being. There are more people growing food than now than ever, right? You can't even find any jars for canning or preservation because people are really starting to pay attention to the, the, the issues with our industrialized food system and the fact that it will likely fail in our lifetime. And so those of us who have, um, you know, parents or grandparents who, who, who live through the Great Depression, um, I remember my grandfather often telling stories about when this time would, would happen. And it's, it's mind-blowing that we're actually living through it. But what he did pass down was some deep knowledge and understanding about what to do, right? Whether he knew he was giving us those lessons or not, I, I know exactly what to do. And I find more often than not that, that more people around me know what to do than not. And oftentimes um, someone else is writing that narrative about the fact that we need to be educated about this or we need to be educated about that. That's not how we speak about ourselves and that's not how we live in this world. Um, and so I just want to challenge that a little bit to acknowledge that people know more than we give credit for. And oftentimes, rather than assuming they don't know, we should ask. Absolutely. I hear you. Michael, do you have anything to add to that? Oh, I can talk all day long. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd rather do poetry, so. For traders and slave raiders and industrial coal agers, they claimed her as their savior, yet the M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I -S 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 -I -P -P -I treated her foul. Pollutants what they gave her in exchange for all her favors. And now we piddle, pedal, paddle fast past our dirty, ugly past in a desperate attempt to try to save ourselves from exploding greenhouse gas. You know, when we start talking about urban farming, when we start talking about, you know, the Green New Deal, when we start talking about all of these issues, you know, it's always from a white perspective, as if, you know, they are the only inhabitants of the earth. But I push back on that, because if that's the case, then who is Will Allen? You know, if that's the case, then who is Van Jones? You know, and so if that's the case, who was Fannie Lou Hamer? You know, so there's been people all over the world. You know, we start talking about global warming and climate change. You know, we can go to the Green Wall in Africa. So even though we pompously, you know, self-centeredly, you know, think of that, you know, only we and we alone as Americans, if that's who we are, you know, as uh, the United States, if that's who we are, you know, I know that we are an extractive system, still practicing colonial extraction, still exploiting people, still exploiting the earth, you know, for our own personal self-centered savage greed. And until we can really respect that river, 
until we realize that that river, that that tree, that that plant that we plant, that that is, that we are, as the Native American people say that, you know, instead of we get past this little notion of time that, you know, leadership is one year, two years, you know, that it's a lifetime of giving, that's a lifetime of service, that we are stewards of the earth and that we are servants to the most high. And until we can get beyond this little pomp and ceremony called popular American culture that's divisive, that's distractive, that's extractive, you know, we will continue to perpetuate, not, not reform, not readdress, you know, not bring reconciliation, you know, but it's about divide and conquer. We come to realize through this, the murder of George Floyd, that we're sitting on a fault line, you know, two cities, you know, the story of the haves and the have nots. And we've lost sight of the fact that, you know, in, with, in 1865, you know, that slavery supposedly came to an end when indeed poverty is slavery. And that as long as we are about taking advantage of people, taking advantage of Mother Earth and the work that folks doing at Minnesota 350, that all of these issues are all one. And so that we even talking about farming, even urban farming is an extractive process that again, until we really come to grips with our indigenous ways and realize that it's not about us, but it's about the children yet and born and that's who we serve. Yes, we did not get the earth handed to us by our parents. We're borrowing it from our children. That was beautiful. Okay, so now I'd like to discuss how urban, black, indigenous, and people of color, or BIPOC farming, addresses issues created by the industrial food system. Um, Hindalo, the vision of SLFND is around building relationships among peoples and the earth. How does this differ from the current industrial food system? Um, very different, very, very different. Uh, we're looking at, um, you know, uh, you know, temperatures rising that we've never seen before. Uh, we're looking at um, massive uh, food desert communities being created, uh, even right here in Minnesota, that we've never seen before. We're looking at the disparities of, um, you know, access to food, uh, which really uh, speaks volume to who gets access. I think we need to be asking those questions as to who gets to grow food, who gets access to even the resources. How do we think about the infrastructure capacity to be able to make food av available and growing the right kind of food? The diversity of food, uh, when we reflect the diversity of the population and the diversity of food coming from different parts of the world, how does all of that operate? Now, what uh, regenerative agriculture will basically talk about and is trying to do, and this is where I think MN350 is really strong, is looking at how, uh, you know, addressing those fundamental issues and making the question of food, access to food, as a right-based approach. And it's, it's a fundamental right to be able to make sure that uh, we can get food, but also growing those food in a way that is um, uh, supportive, moving away from this industrialized farming um, demands 
And going back to agrarian um, ecology, agrarian ways of growing food in small communities and making sure that those communities are being fed. What we at SLFND are doing is exactly that. We're taking one village at a time, engaging with the process of ecological resilience and designing from a bottom-up approach. This is very different from industrialized farming. Growing food at a mass scale to be able to make sure it is coming from a top-bottom approach. And therefore, whatever is in those food, we don't know about it. The chemicals that comes with those food, we have no idea about those. The participation of even growing the food is all very limited and very controlled. What organic or you know small farm holders um, you know growing food will actually want to do is to be able to make sure that the sufficiency of food is a priority, and that is very different from disindustrialized um, mechanisms that we are seeing. So in Sierra Leone, uh, the work that we are doing, we grow food and feed the community. We do not sell food to start with. Um, we allow for things like seed saving, where somebody who controls seeds controls knowledge, it controls what you eat. And when we have women who have to go take micro loans to be able to get uh, seeds, which then they will put on the soil to grow. And if that soil doesn't do well because you have um, chemical fertilizers that are sprayed on those food, the seed doesn't do well, then that woman is stuck in a loan. They have to pay back that loan. So these are the realities happening not only in Sierra Leone, but other parts of Africa. The same thing could, is, is happening on this side of the world. So yes, it's very different. And we are looking at um, a framework that supports a permaculture platform, very different from industrialized farming. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. Um, and Michael, would you please tell us what prompted you to create Project Sweetie Pie? What challenges and opportunities in the community are you trying to address? And how did this connect to the industrial food system? Well, I think it's the antithesis, you know. First of all, when I say I'm an egg patriot, what does that mean? That means I'm using urban farming. I'm using gardening. You know, the story of Adam and Eve, right? Uh, can we go back to the garden and garden being a Petri dish where culture is grown? And so I'm using a garden, using gardening as a tool, as a device to really change culture and to bring people back to their ancient roots, to get back to nature. You know, it's so many dimensions, there's so many intersections that we can't just talk about urban farming, local food production. Uh, Hindelow alluded to um, land development. That's also part of it, you know. I see urban farming, local food production, uh, public land development as the latest iteration of the civil rights movement. And uh, in using that as the framework to really try to organize and get people to realize that this is genocide that we're witnessing. Wars are fought and won over food supply. And so for a people not to be able to have this knowledge, waiting back passively, you know, waiting for somebody to deliver. That's why I'm not an advocate for hunger solutions. 
That's not teaching a man how to fish. That's giving a man a fish. And if you give a man a fish, you take away his freedom. You take away his knowledge. Absolutely. Um, okay, so Devon, how has your work with Northside Fresh on the grassroots community level informed the work you and others do on the policy and systems level with the Minneapolis Food Policy Council? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, that's a lofty question. I would say um, <laughs> it has taken uh, a, a high level of intentionality to um, and great partners. You know, this is what a community government partnership looks like when it is really functioning in a way that can challenge and, and change systems. And so uh, the, the Minneapolis Food Policy Council work around uh, our food action planning is the first thing that comes to mind. And we have had um, coalition partners, you know, through Northside Fresh as a part of that as well. And the uh, food action plan is, is a roadmap um, toward a more equitable, climate resilient, just and sustainable local food system and local food economy. And so it is meant to uh, serve as a document that uh, an appendix and a standalone document that will um, be complementary and work in tandem with the Minneapolis Climate Action Plan. And I'm, I'm grateful for this work because what we found um, in the initial climate action plan that there was no mention of food. And so because we have great uh, food activists and food organizers and folks who are always thinking about food, so our foodie community, um, we're always looking for those gaps. And so when I, when I look at the, the intersection of uh, the food action plan, it's informed by um, things like the fact that in 2017, uh, the city of Minneapolis signed onto the Milan Urban Food Policy Pact. And some of those uh, policies were adopted as a part of the Minneapolis 2040 comp plan. And I know that, you know, the policy talk is just, you know, wah, 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 because we're, we're working within these same systems of oppression. We're working within these same systems that were not designed to serve my community. Um, but I, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent in, you know, having an inside-outside game. I'm all, I'm all for dismantling systems of oppression that do not serve my people. I also understand that some of those systems uh, continue to exist and that if I work from the inside, I, we can do both. We can, we can have parallel work. And so our food action plan um, has uh, several different topics around food justice and equity, diets and community demand, agriculture, food production, retail, wholesale processing and distribution, food waste generation and management, and then governance, finance and implementation. And so it's, it's meant and the way I like to think about it is putting some teeth to what we know we need in community. And so how do you translate how the community helps inform this plan, but also make sure that it is a beyond just a plan, that it's a living, working document, and that the actions that we take um, with our work around, you know, land access or um, other, you know, barriers that, that socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers deal with all the time. That's the federal designation of what we're doing here. We are socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. And the USDA has a whole um, program designed just for that um, from the 2008 uh, farm bill. And so it's not enough to just have these policies. It's, it, it, it takes someone who, you know, and again, I'll give credit to Elder Cheney. I didn't know that we could influence these things, right? Like I didn't know I, I could do this. And so he lit a fire and probably created a monster and you can blame him later. Um, but we have worked all the way up to the federal level um, on, on, this, on this work. 
and understanding, uh, again, something Elder Cheney, I've heard coin over and over that food as a basic human right, right? Like how do we, um, you know, leverage what we know are the challenges around food access in a way that is not only serving ourselves, but is also caring for the earth. And so I've learned so much through this process of uh, food action planning, looking at the intersection of food, climate, water, um, our carbon footprint, like working with the University of Minnesota, um, I've just, you know, greenhouse gases, just all these things that in our day-to-day life, it's really easy to be detached from, in particular in communities like mine, where we have the long history of divestment and disinvestment and disenfranchisement. I mean, you could just go through all the disses. We got all of them here. And so we have historically not been a part of these processes, but we are most heavily impacted and oftentimes the subject of the research, um, but not always the benefactor of what comes out of that. And so we're trying to change that. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, Well, and it's almost time for another break. But before we go, let me just say that Hindelow has to leave. So we'd like to have him give us some information about how our listeners can support him in his work with SLF&D. Absolutely. Thank you. First of all, I um, just want to say thank you for the opportunity being on this podcast. Um, the work that is happening across the world speaks volume to um, us reclaiming the land. We have to um, reclaim the land. We have to be part of this process in whichever part of the world we're coming from. With the Sierra Leone Foundation for New Democracy, our work around land issues, access to land, um, regenerative agriculture, building the soil, the microbes, uh, looking at water management systems. All of that comes within a framework that we have set up called the the PACT program, uh, Permaculture Africa Cross Training, and which you can find on our website, www.slfnd.org. And what that program supports is, permaculture is very much indigenous, philosophies that uh, the pioneers who coined it basically studied what permaculture was about in other parts of the world. So we want to bring that back and through the Permaculture Africa cross training, we've done trainings in permaculture with communities in Sierra Leone. Uh, We've done one in Liberia. We currently are contracting right now to do a second one in Liberia. We would like to spread that across the African continent and participants um, in Africa will be able to begin to reduce these food shortages that we're experiencing on a yearly basis by training them to go back to the land, let them be able to reclaim and work with the land. So listeners can support uh, the work that we are doing at www.slfnd.org by sponsoring participants in Africa to undertake a permaculture training, by supporting giving scholarships, by having us come to somewhere on the African continent to be able to do training. And we can definitely work with different communities um, based on their needs, their assessment, and things that will be able to help support moving away from this industrialized farming to a more sustainable agricultural mechanisms. Well, thank you, Indolo. Thank you. It's great to hear from you. Sierra Leone Foundation for New Democracy. You can find that at slfnd.org. And now we will take a short break. We will be back shortly.
Okay, hello everyone, welcome back. We are still speaking with Devon Nolan and Michael Cheney. Um, now I'm not sure who wants to chime in first, but what can our listeners do to support your work in your organizations? Um, well, you know, to me, it's, uh, you know, this is a movement. It's um, not just a enterprise or an action. It's a lifestyle change. It is, you know, uh, life and death, you know. Um, the pandemic has made it even more obvious. The social unrest has made it more painfully clear that uh, this system is corrosive and it's eroding right before our eyes, exploding right before our ears. And um, it's prudent to each and every one of us that you know, we have an obligation to our young to uh, change the world. Uh, it's real clear that in a society that they tried to get uh, name the ingredients in the food that we eat, and that didn't pass. That's, that's shocking. That's unconscionable that in a democracy, we as, as citizens aren't entitled shouldn't be allowed to know the ingredients in our food. I think that that speaks volumes. And so, you know, as an activist, first and foremost, I'm not in this for the money. Um, I'm in this for my children's children's children. And so I will continue to fight and to try to plant the seeds of change and to create a brave new world uh, that is um, fair, more equitable to all, and I look for, on a regular basis, I look for folks who share that sentiment, that are passionate about, you know, freedom, freedom fighters, are abolitionists, and so, uh, yeah, Project Sweetie Pie, you know, we're a thought leader, we, you know, are disruptor, and we work with young people trying to give them. So it's not about, you know, black or white. It's about wrong or right and trying to bring folks who are righteous keepers of the earth, you know, to come and see if we can uh, salvage a world that we can pass on to the next generation of young people. And it's, it's a right moment for that, isn't it? Um, so thank you so much, Michael. And um, hopefully our listeners will go on over to projectsweetiepie.org and check it out and see how they can get involved. Well, they can come they on can over help. and pick some vegetables. We've got 15 gardens that are uh, ripe and uh, ready to be picked. And, um, you know, we invite them, encourage them to uh, – it all begins with the food um, – the food, food is medicine, and if we can be, eat right, we'll be right. All right. Well, I may join them. Um, and Devon, how could people directly support Northside Fresh? Yeah, Northside Fresh, um, it's my baby. I get excited when I think about Northside Fresh. We've been through a lot <laughs> together, <laughs> and we're still standing. And so I, I just i am so grateful for partners that have emerged you know, over the years from the onset with North Point and Blue Cross Blue Shields and for prevention, you know, with that initial 
support to get us started. But what we know is it takes time. And so uh, two things I want to encourage, um, you know, those who give the business community, philanthropic community to 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 give and to dig deep. And, you know, if you're if you're supporting our efforts, know that a one year, two year grant is just allowing us to get started. We really need five years in order to get your footing and really start to, to um, see the impacts that we're hoping to realize takes about 10. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the work is there. And so all of these issues are economic issues at the base and it takes resources. Um, we are talking about reclamation of our um, being the masters of our own destiny. And that takes resources. Um, some people may call it reparations. Some people may call it a restorative practice, but ultimately it's for our children is what um, I just want to echo. Um, my, my people have always been a futuristic people and I, I, I stand on the shoulders of giants. They were planning for me. They were paving a way and trailblazing for me to be able to do the work that I'm doing. And so if people are so inclined, you can go to appetiteforchangemn.org. Um, all spelled out, appetiteforchangemn.org. And there's a little pretty donate button up there and you can designate your, your giving for Northside Fresh. Um, we are an incubated program of Appetite for Change. And so um, that's why I'm directing folks there. And, you know, and I would also echo what Elder Cheney said, meet us at the garden. You know, it's hard to manage 15, 30 gardens around the city, um, pulling weeds and building, you know, hoop houses and whatnot. And so um, there are lots of opportunity to put, put some, put your hands in the dirt and it's harvest time, you know, and you'll come home with a, with a beautiful bounty for, um, for your efforts. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you so much. I'm definitely going to seek you out now. I, I didn't realize that a person could just go and help with the harvest. Obviously, it is harvest time. So, Well, we don't call them community gardens. We call them communal gardens. We plant them, you know, with the intention that if we want healthy community, then we have to grow healthy food and we want to make sure that food is a right and that everyone should be able to eat and eat healthy. And so, yeah, join us. All right, we'll do. Well, I just want to say thank you again to both of you. Um, hey, thank you so much again, Michael Cheney of um, Project Sweetie Pie, for being here. Well, thank you for having us. I, uh, Hindle, and myself, we're also part of an organization called the Midwest Coalition of Farmers of Color. Uh, I'm part of the Green Zone Task Force. Um, I'm uh, part of the Minnesota Department of Ag Food Safety Committee. So again, you know, there's much work to be done and uh, we need your listeners to get involved and make this the world that uh, is green for all. United we stand, divided we fail. Okay, very well said. Um, and thank you, Devon Nolan of the Northside Fresh Coalition, among other things. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for the invitation. And I just want to say Northside. <laughs> a lot of pride in being a Northsider. I'm very, very proud to be a Northsider. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you to all our listeners for joining us today with our guests, Devon Nolan, Michael Cheney, and Hindalopakala, who shared so much valuable, insightful, and timely information with us. And they have reminded us that a regenerative food system isn't a new idea. As Devon mentioned earlier, it's really just about finding ways to get back to our original ways of knowing and being in community. I'd also like to thank the folks of KFAI Wave Project, 
as well as the amazing volunteers of the MN350 podcast team and food systems teams for their work on this series. Nourished by MN350 is a production of MN350's food systems team. We are changing the way people think about food production, distribution, and consumption practices in the context of rapid climate change. The series is made possible by the hard work and passion of a group of dedicated volunteers. Our executive producer is Sarah Riedel. The producer for this episode is Suzanne De Palma. This episode was written by Barb Rose and Barb Norbum. The sound editor for this episode is Rory Coleman. Our logo was designed by Fizz Design Collective, and our music is by Ecuador Manta. You can learn more at mn350action.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.